HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. What is the question? <laughs> so one of my questions is, is I know you like to cook, right? Yeah. Yeah? What do you like to cook when you cook with mom? Pancakes. How do you make pancakes? Flour, sugar, and eggs in milk, and then we stir it, and then we put it on the stove, then it bakes, then we eat them. What do you like to cook up, Rihanna? That was Stephen, a budding chef and, in turn, Brianna Brady's nephew. For some kids like Stephen, the food world is an exciting place to explore. But for other youngsters, mealtimes can be quite a challenge. Hence, the small list of, quote, kid-friendly options offered at restaurants. This week on Meet and 3, we're pushing past the kids' menu. Take a seat at the kids' table, and we promise to serve more than plain pasta and chicken fingers. Beyond the brightly covered boxes and school lunch trays, our team explores the pressing questions surrounding the regulations and safety of kids' foods. I'm Hannah Forden, and this is Meet and 3. Meet and three. Meet and three. Meet and three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meet and three. Connecting with young eaters is an important way to influence the future of how we eat. School meals comprise a significant portion of many kids' diets, but... What if the lunchtime could be an extension of the classroom? Our next story comes from HRN's podcast for elementary-aged listeners. It's called Time for Lunch, and I co-create and co-host the show with Harry Rosenblum. On our 19th episode, we spoke with one woman who is working to build food into New York City school curriculums. We're going to talk to school lunch expert, Andrea Strong. Andrea is a journalist and founder of the New York City Healthy School Lunch Alliance. She's going to tell us how healthy food can improve your school day. 
I have two kids who are in public school in Brooklyn, Emily and Sam. And, you know, naturally, as someone who's really interested in food, when they started school, I was drawn to the cafeteria and was really disappointed in what I was seeing there. And I guess it's not really until you're a parent and your kids are in school that you see what's being fed to our children. It was a lot of highly processed foods like chicken nuggets, burgers that were heated up in plastic wrappers, a lot of white bread, white starch, just food that doesn't really support health. If there's one thing we learned from Andrea, it's that kids need lots of healthy foods to help them stay energized and engaged throughout the school day. Andrea and her team are not only trying to get fresh and nutritious foods into the cafeteria, but also have some fun ideas for food-related classes. My organization is also advocating for the return of home ec, so I want to bring back culinary and nutrition education at every grade. A lot of data supports children learning about food systems and where food comes from. It's also teaching me how to add and how to do fractions because recipes are math and science. You can teach everything. You can teach history, the three sisters crops. You can talk about indigenous foods and the Native Americans that lived in Manhattan. Food can be another fun way to get outside while still learning. So I'm also advocating for gardens in every school so that children can grow their food and really develop a strong connection to the earth. And again, there's a lot of data that supports gardens as a way, a place of healing, a place of emotional, social-emotional growth and development. It provides for more physical activity for kids, and it shows them that, you know, a strawberry grows from this beautiful plant. And if you put a seed in the ground, you can grow your own food. And growing their own food leads to better choices in terms of what they eat. You know, if they understand how much sugar goes into chocolate milk or Gatorade or that can of Fanta, then they're not going to drink it. Andrea and her team have been hard at work talking with local politicians trying to make these initiatives a reality. She wants to make sure every kid has nutritious and delicious school lunches every day. What I imagine school food to look like is a big pitcher of fresh, cold water on the table, maybe with some cucumber slices or some lemons that kids are drinking and sharing, and a platter that has a beautiful fresh salad with crunchy vegetables and a nice dressing on the side made from herbs and grilled chicken with homemade hummus and a beautiful flatbread or a bowl of veggie chili with cheddar cheese and real sour cream and toppings bar where kids can have fun with their with their veggie chili or a nice big sandwich made with grilled vegetables and hummus and you know your choice of mustard or hot sauce or whatever you like on there Thanks so much, Andrea Strong, for teaching us how nutritious school food can improve our health and help us learn. To learn more about the New York City Healthy School Lunch Alliance and Andrea's other work, visit her website, andreastrong.com. Andrea speaks about empowering school-aged children to learn more about their food. But will these hands-on educational experiences be possible this year? At the beginning of this month, New York City public school students returned to in-person learning. 
The city is trying their very best to ensure a safe return. Masking mandates, vaccination requirements for teachers, improved ventilation systems. So how will COVID considerations impact school lunch? Last year, I worked at a private school that kept its doors open during the pandemic. All right, Sammy, so we're going to play Garage Band. Why don't you go to instruments, keyboard? Let's go. Lunch looked a little different than how I remembered it. No rushing to the cafeteria to see what was for lunch. No analyzing who was sitting with who. It was pretty quiet, literally. Students weren't allowed to talk or move around as they ate. Lunch was delivered to classrooms. All the food was cold and prepackaged, so kids got a salad or maybe a sandwich. If teachers were quick to claim space or the weather was good enough, kids ate outside. But that's a big if. So lunch consisted mainly of students sitting in silence in their classrooms. I interviewed a group of fifth graders about middle school during the pandemic, and lunch came up quite a bit. Do you feel like it's going better than you expected or worse than you expected? We're supposed to be able to eat at the cafeteria. My least favorite part has got to be that we are not, we can't have the good food. And so I remember taking my tour and I saw the food and I was just like, I'm coming here just because of the food. <laughs> I would wish to eat in the cafeteria because then you can make your own bagel. So you're not, not, not a fan of the lunch options? Well, it's not that I'm not a fan. But eating in the cafeteria, you also get the drinks. Right, and you also get like the social aspect yeah. of it. Like you can see people outside of your class. Yeah, and you can also get sides. Yeah. Yeah. Delivered meals and reduced choices seem to be making students feel more disconnected from the food they're eating. And as we heard from Hannah in our last segment, this has a major impact on the health and well-being of kids in school. With public schools returning in person, students, teachers, and parents are navigating this new set of lunchtime challenges. We've taken so many precautions around indoor dining, but schools can't impose the same controls as a restaurant. The CDC put out a bunch of recommendations. Things like facing the same direction, limiting how often students speak when eating, and sitting outside when possible. Last year, 840 New York schools applied for extra outdoor options. But living in New York, access to that kind of space is limited. And as a teacher, enforcing all these rules was tough. Lunch was one of the hardest times of the day. It felt so unnatural, begging students to distance and keep their masks on, or not to talk to their friends if they were eating. It also seemed so outside of an educator's normal responsibility. But... Whose job is it then to enforce these new rules? Administrators? Parents? Teachers? I don't know. I'd say being in middle school in the pandemic, it's a 50-50. In everything, there's the perks, Mm -hmm. and then there's the, I don't know what the other word is. Like the pros and the cons. Yeah, that's what it is. Pros and cons. (laughs) This is especially true with school lunch. It's one of the most effective ways for the government to fight food insecurity. An article published by Civil Eats earlier this year states that with 1.1 million students, the New York Department of Education feeds more people every day than almost any other public institution in the country. 
The pandemic pushed the city to adapt their program, creating to-go options and providing universal SNAP benefits. Even so, the DOE struggled last year to distribute these resources to families in need. Returning to in-person could restore the reach of these programs. As we get further into the school year, we'll see how the city balances the benefits versus the potential risks of school lunch to students' health and safety. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a brief break. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to Meet and 3. Raising a healthy kid can be challenging, especially when it comes to competing against big food companies' advertising. Let's say you're at a grocery store. It's nearly impossible for parents to shield children from attention-grabbing packaging that line the store's shelves. How can you say no to those eye-grabbing fruit snacks? For our next segment, we'll hear clips from HRN's series Eating Matters as we explore how food is advertised to children in the United States. One of the ways companies get children to eat unhealthy foods is by using popular characters in advertising. What they're doing is they're essentially buying children's emotional attachment and slapping it onto their product, and it's very effective. Children, you know, research shows they actually prefer the flavor of an identical product if it's bearing their, you know, a character on it. Bettina Elias Siegel is the author of the book Kid Food, The Challenge of Feeding Children in a Highly Processed World. She points out that advertising works even on adults who know they're being manipulated. But for children, the impact is often stronger. Cognitive research shows they don't even distinguish between advertising and the television show, you know, until maybe age five. And even after that, they don't understand that they're being persuaded to do something. With the power that advertising techniques have to impact children's minds, you might wonder how the U.S. regulates which foods are okay to market towards kids. The answer, a lot of the responsibility is given to the companies themselves. The FTC says on its website that they have been working with industry to, quote, foster creative and effective self-regulatory initiatives to help combat childhood obesity, unquote. A major part of that self-regulation began in 2006. It's called the Children's Food and Beverage Advertising Initiative, the CFBAI, and it includes as its members, I think, 18 or 19 of the largest 
food companies, food and beverage companies out there. And, you know, it, on paper, it sounds really good. You know, they, they say, we're only going to market healthier dietary choices to children. When this interview first aired in 2020, Bettina pointed out some of the items that the CFBAI listed as healthy enough to market to kids. They included Frosted Flakes and Lucky Charms, both of which use ads that feature cartoon mascots. A cup of Lucky Charms contains 12 grams of added sugar, while a cup of Frosted Flakes contains 14. For context, the American Heart Association recommends children eat no more than 25 grams of added sugar per day. Though the CFBAI updated its guidelines after the interview was released, both of these products are still listed. How could we expect otherwise from industries? You know, ultimately, they're for-profit businesses, and they're only going to regulate themselves to a degree that they can tolerate from a profit standpoint. Other countries have taken different approaches to advertising. In Chile, the government restricts advertising directed at kids. Just as an example, you know, there's the box of Frosted Flakes with Tony the Tiger, and now Tony can't be on the box in Chile anymore. Bettina believes that if parents work together, they could change policy in the U.S. as well. If as a political block we demanded it, you know, that would be pretty powerful. And, and I would think this is something that should appeal to parents on both sides of the aisle because you're not asking to take products off the market or restrict choice. All you're saying is if you think your product is worth, you know, my child consuming, you let me know. You know, I'm the decision maker in the family. You advertise to me. There's no need to bring my kids into the equation and encourage them to pester me. To hear more of this conversation, tune in to episode 153 of Eating Matters. There's more than just marketing to consider when it comes to the packaging of the foods kids love. Additives end up in our food from both the machines through which they're processed and the containers they end up in. Brianna Brady spoke with Dr. Leonardo Trusande the director of the NYU Center for the Investigation of Environmental Hazards, about the potential danger lurking inside a fan favorite, boxed mac and cheese. This past February, Annie's Mac and Cheese announced it was going to work with its suppliers to remove phthalates from its products. This came four years after a study initially warned of the chemical's presence in the powdered cheese we use for boxed mac and cheeses. If you, like me, also have trouble saying phthalates five times fast, here's a quick primer. So phthalates uh, are plasticizers. They're used to support softer plastics in their structure and make them flexible. They're also uh, really good at making things stay longer in their scent. So that's why over the years they've been so useful in personal care products, cosmetics, and food packaging. Almost every babysitter I ever had as a kid made me box mac and cheese for dinner. It's comfort food. I still eat it with frozen peas. And it's scary to think that it might contain something harmful. Phthalates are associated with lower testosterone, and exposure is linked to medical issues from problems with fetal development to heart disease. Despite the findings of the study, the news did not initially inspire change. The science for when I was a medical student, was only the dose made a thing a poison. It's akin to everything in moderation, right? Like eat a little bit of, of your greens and vegetables and you can have a steak and you'll be fine. People questioned whether the levels of phthalates in mac and cheese were high enough to worry about. 
However, according to Dr. Trasande, we're learning that Annie's might be setting an important example by trying to remove them entirely. But my point is that, you know, that notion has been eroded by new science requiring a shift in the paradigm. So it's really little things matter. And that's because timing matters. There are vulnerable windows of susceptibility. You have the whole explosion of genetics and these epigenetic factors, markers on the gene, not necessarily changes in the genetic coding that can be crucial in the development of disease and disability. You have the fact that we live in mixtures. It's not just one chemical, it might be multiple other chemicals. And also the hormonal system is super complicated. So these weird curvilinear functions that actually can be more like roller coaster rides are based in biology and therefore undermine completely this notion that you can reason from high-dose experiments down to low-dose experiments. In summary, even small amounts might be harmful. While there are regulations on the use of phthalates in children's toys, the FDA still allows phthalates in food packaging. And they end up in more than just mac and cheese. In the built environment, in the policy environment that we live in, you're not going to be able to single-handedly revolt uh, from these exposures. But you can reduce them substantially. Dr. Trasande's suggestions include avoiding microwaving or dishwashing your plastic containers, cutting out plastics with the recycling numbers 3, 6, and 7, ones with additives that might end up in your food, and, maybe for a little while, making homemade mac and cheese for your kids instead. To learn more about the guests and topics we touched on this week, check out our show notes. Special thanks this week to Harry Rosenblum, Zoe Denkla, Kevin Chang Barnum, and Brianna Brady. Emily Kunkel produced the segment that we featured from Time for Lunch. Meet and Three is produced by Matt Patterson, Dylan Hoyer, Katie Mosman-Wadler, and me, Hannah Forden. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet and Three is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or would just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out.